and his plan includes you. And it's not a secondhand plan or a bit part for you. The truth is, I believe and I am motivated by this idea. You can experience life and you can experience God. But here's the thing. It's going to take discipline because you're going up against billions of dollars spent to keep you from doing that. Hey, this is Matt Hook, the shepherd of The Shepherd and the Shrink. And I wanted to thank you for listening. And I would love if you want to continue to be able to hear good content like this to go on patreon.com, The Shepherd and the Shrink. And that's us. We would love your support, whether it's $5 a month or $20 a month. It's really valuable and can help us out. Thanks. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey everybody, this is Matt Hook and I am the shepherd without the shrink today. Marty is not able to make it and we are in the second part of our six-part series on our identity. And we talked last week about our identity that we've been given, which is basically as consumers and how much that impacts our attitudes when we think we're just supposed to consume, we're supposed to be able to do what we want, we're supposed to be able to mix and match, all that kind of thing. And that has really impacted our thinking, it's impacted our relationships, it's impacted our identity. Today, I wanna to talk about the second big way that I see us identifying ourselves. And it's something that we've been handed, and it's this, we live as a world of spectators. This is really brought home to me just this week as I was thinking about this, because you've probably heard the big news story, how the police arrested a man on a commuter train last week, just outside Philadelphia and charged him with rape. And according to the arrest, this 35 year old guy was sitting beside a woman at the train and harassing her for more than 40 minutes at a news conference. Police said surveillance video showed him groping and raping this woman while passengers held their phones pointed in the woman's direction. That just makes me sick. Nobody dialed 911 from any of these witnesses. They just were there watching, spectating. And the police responded within three minutes when a transit employee called and they pulled this guy off the train who had been harassing this woman for more than 24 stops of the train. And I just can't help but wonder why didn't somebody say something you know, there was an old similar event called the Kitty Genevieve story that happened in New York City where something like 48 witnesses watched this woman being stabbed to death, basically. And she crawled and so many people saw this. This was before internet, before cell phones, anything like that. But not one person shouted, not one person ran down or said, hey, get out of there, or said, I'm going to call the police. What's going on in our world? Why didn't somebody say something? You know, even with this most recent case, I read an article talking about how sexual violence experts say that it is rare, but it's really concerning that groups in public did not intervene. It wasn't like it was one person 
But the South Pennsylvania Transportation Authority reminded passengers about emergency buttons that are on every train car, urging people to call 911. What the heck is going on? I think it's that we have been so conditioned as spectators that somehow in many situations, we've lost our ability to act on it. Here's another question. Where were you or did you see the Twin Towers go down 2001, 20 years ago? Did you see the Twin Towers go? Now, it's possible you actually were in New York City at the time, but were any of you there or were you in your living room or were you at work or were you at school? You know, we've been trained to process information differently now. And there's a word for how you and I process information. And it's not a new word, but it's affected every area of life. It's how teachers must teach. It's how salesmen must sell. Merchandise must be displayed. All forms of communication must be shared. And the word is entertainment. There's an old song, that's entertainment. Entertainment has impacted how we think how we see ourselves and how we live. Even our own Facebook pages, which a lot of us consider as an extension of our identity has to be entertaining, right? Entertainment has oozed its way into every inch of our lives, even into our cars, into our pockets, onto our phones. I admit, I like entertainment. I like, especially on long car trips, a lot, especially when we had four young kids, we literally would stick a TV back in the 1990s in the back seat of our car with a little VHS, remember those, of a Disney movie or our favorites were the music band, some stuff like that in order to entertain our kids when we're driving back to Colorado from Michigan or wherever we were going. But now what the problem with entertainment is it's not just in the way it makes us think, which can be devastating. I think our problem is the way it keeps us from thinking because we're just soaking and soaking and soaking in all the stuff that was designed for us to soak and soak and soak and soak. You know, today we take our bearings, most of our worldview, not from the Bible, not from the physical world, but from the little screens and the big ones, let's face it, around our house, TV, radio, internet, Tablets, phones have now become our main source of perspective, providing a safe, convenient window onto our messy lives. They decide for us who's important, what to think, even how to dress each day. You know, the actuarial science that is being revealed even before the Congress and within the last few weeks from the Facebook employee that's whistleblowing talks about how Facebook is designed to promote anxiety. It's designed to promote fear. It's designed to promote disgust. And so it's they, whether it's AI, artificial intelligence, or the people who have put together the formulas, who decide for us who's important and what to think about, let alone how to address or what we do. We orient ourselves to the world through what we see and what we experience on the screen from them, whoever them are. And that's really wild. You know, one time I was going down years ago uh, to wake my son up for Saturday morning and I could see the little glow of his cell phone. We didn't give our kids cell phones till they turned 15 and we were like Neanderthals for doing so. But think of how it used to be before all that. You would wake up and you were there and things radiated out from wherever you were 
pervert. He woke up as a kid. Now you don't even know what's going on around your bedroom or your house or out your window or in your yard because you're glued to this glow on your face that's from your phone. And we orient our world through what we see in that way. It didn't start out as mass media. It started in the 1800s with the camera. Do you know the camera was invented? The first photo was 1826 by a guy named Nipsey. I think that's how you pronounce it. The telegraph started in 1844, and those two things publicly changed the world, began changing it. Those inventions moved us from focusing on words to focusing on images. Then there's the other product that happened in the 1800s, and it came from the Industrial Revolution. And that product of the Industrial Revolution was boredom. <laughs> Think about it. Rather than people's rhythm of life being work, 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 and relax, work and relax, factory work, uh, which is, was a horrific life for so many people, factory work moved the rhythm not from work and relax, but from boredom and escape, boredom and escape. And it's not just factories. You know, there's a lot of boredom going around in the world. I was in a long checkout line at Myers yesterday and I was bored. So here's what happened. Entertainment grew. Entertainment came as the, the source of relief for the boredom and the escape. It was the escape. And as our society needed more and more distraction from life. In the 1900s came the cinema or the movies, then radio, then television. And, and then in the 1940s came the perfect chair called the lazy boy. Interestingly that we call so much of TV today, reality TV, because the reality is our homes are built around it. Our homes are built around entertainment, entertainment centers, large screen TVs, flat screen stuff, family rooms have become nothing more than multimedia entertainment rooms. Our schedules are built around it. Whether it's something like when you want to watch live a football college football game on Saturday or Monday night football, or any of the TV shows when you want to see them live and right when they hit the airwaves, our meal times are sometimes planned around it. I remember when our kids were little and before all of the TiVo stuff, how many of us would call our kids to dinner and when dinner was ready, we'd wait for five minutes until after the show they were watching was over. Other things built around entertainment is our posture, the amount of bad posture um, from our computer time, from our screen time, from our phones, the neck problems people are having. Our physiques are beginning to be built around it. Our furniture, our lives are built around it. The average American watches over four hours per day. You think there is anything that can compete with that kind of influence? And here's a scary one. If you watched any shows this week, you spent more time with that show than the average dad spent face-to-face -face with his children. And that even means if you watched one half-hour show. That's freaky. You know, entertainment comes from two French words that mean to hold between. We're not between active engagement and complete uninvolvement. We're thinking, but we're not. We're amused, and that's about it. So we're engaged. We can't tear our eyes away, but we're disengaged, almost like those people watching this man harass the woman in the, in the uh, train outside of Philadelphia. We're amused. It's also basically private. 
Have you ever tried to start a, a meaningful conversation with someone who was watching their TV or their phone? So many people have instituted everybody put your phones in the other room while we eat dinner. Uh, eating dinner together is one of the best, most healthy things you can do as a family if you have kids. We are thinking, but we're not. When was the last time you saw an actor in mid-movie say to the camera, listen, we're just going to take a break up here and stop the action. Why don't you guys turn your chairs, face each other, and talk amongst yourselves? Multimedia hits our minds, and it hits it into low gear. Our minds are literally in a passive mode, and we're going to dive into this with Marty at another episode. Here's the message from it all. You're a spectator. All we need to do is be spectators watching without getting involved. Remember, I'm not talking about even what the junk is that we're watching on TV or surfing the net for. Even the good stuff, we're just watching. We're just spectating. Have you ever thought about all that this media does to us? Some people will say, well, it turns us into spuds, you know, couch potatoes. First, I think it distracts us from deeper thoughts. Billions of dollars annually are spent on analyzing you to see what you want. And the screens never get, give us a chance to get ahead of it. TV and now websites of every sort, and let alone all of the social media, will do anything to keep us fixed on the screen. Part of the reason that multimedia stuff has evolved into multiple plots, new camera angles, advanced soundtracks, and liquid television where the camera moves a lot is to keep us hooked. Simply scrolling feels good to us and releases endorphins. And clicking gives us the little jolt about what is next. We have to let slip this need because what's slipped is our ability to think because we're so hooked into whatever it is that we think we don't have why else would we need to be on a screen doing something about it so we have let slip our ability to think clearly our ability to think deeply intentionally or even daringly we've lost the knack for personal reflection or even conversation you know, I had an image of this. It's sort of like snorkeling. The longer you can hold your breath, the deeper you can dive. The deeper you can dive, the more amazing things you can see under the surface of the water. But if we never take any deep dives, think about what we miss. That's the, the loss of personal reflection. We've even lost the ability for good conversation in some cases. I think what we're doing is kind of picking apart our souls piece by piece, minuscule bit by bit, this consumption of media, this identity of being a spectator just picks our soul apart bit by bit. And when that's happening, the easiest thing that you want to do is escape more. So the first thing I think that this spectating does, this media does to us, this entertainment does, is it keeps us from deeper thoughts. Secondly, it makes us expect entertainment in all of life. You know, let's face it, much of what's on TV is so good. Much of what's on our phones is so good that ordinary life can feel a little bit boring, especially when you think people are only showing you the best, most exciting things at their vacation. And our lives feel 
really don't. We need to be swept along. We like it. We want the excitement, the unceasing motion, the noise, the twists, the turns. It's like it's a great set of earplugs. It kind of numbs us. No wonder it's so hard to turn it all off, but it creates pressure on anyone and everyone to vie for my attention, even my wife, even my kids, even my job. Now, I'm not advocating that we all chuck our phones. There's nothing wrong with a little, but research shows how often we scroll, how often we flip, how often we turn to our phones, even if we've got 20 seconds that we're walking down the hall, we'll never get into a deeper thought if that's what we're doing, any free chance that we get when we have nothing else to do or when we're bored or when we're lonely or when we're depressed. So the second thing that it does, not only does it keep us from deeper thoughts, but it makes us expect entertainment in all of life. The third thing it does is I think it fosters an artificial view of life. It's fiction. So much of it is fiction. Not only fiction, but it doesn't square well with life from God's perspective. I read in an article, one writer described TV's view of God is like this old entertainer named Jack Benny. Jack Benny is slightly eccentric, amusing old man who used to show up on TV from time to time, but no longer because he passed away a few years back. I think a lot of us view God like that, like somehow he's out of date or he's gotten weaker or he just makes an appearance once in a while. We kind of have this idea. On, on TV, we're accountable to no one. On our phones, we're basically accountable to no one. There's no thought of sin, only failure. There's no thought about commitment, only getting my needs met. There's no thought of death, only the present moment and how I'm feeling. There's no thought of duty, of our duty to do well, of our duty to make a difference, of our duty to care for the people around us. There's only opportunity. Only ourself and our needs and our desires loom large. Little else exists in this artificial view of life that we get from our screens. Happiness has nothing to do with finding fulfillment in God's love of me. It's mostly about what I can accumulate materially or how good I look or prestige that I might be having or products. In other words, like my worth is determined by fame, by fortune, by the number of friends, by the number of followers. And all of this basically invites us to find happiness secondhand through people who seem to have it all. You know, that hits me so hard. How many people are frustrated with their lives they're feeling like their lives are dull and don't compare anything to people that they put up on a pedestal or that the media puts them on a pedestal or that the actuarial science puts on a pedestal for us because we follow or we click or we linger on an image longer. They are tracking all of it. And then it basically invites us to find happiness secondhand through people who seem to have it all. And it triggers us. It triggers us toward anger, toward fear, toward disgust. And if you feel it, please know I feel it too. I can't even think about the good I could be doing with all the extra time that I might have if I would just lay the device down. Do I have your attention? Nothing fancy. This isn't an infomercial for God or for health or anything. But I want to share something from a Christian worldview. And it's this that God has a much bigger plan for his view of reality, his ultimate reality, and his plan includes you. And it's not a secondhand plan 
or a bit part for you. The truth is, I believe and I am motivated by this idea. You can experience life and you can experience God. But here's the thing. It's going to take discipline because you're going up against billions of dollars spent to keep you from doing that. Let me say that again. You don't have to live secondhand. You can experience life and you can experience God, but you're going to go up against billions of dollars being spent to keep you from doing that because then it takes you away from whatever platform you've been following. In the Bible, which is 66 ancient documents, the New Testament talks about the followers of Jesus and the early church. Don't picture church buildings, picture communities of people, of all kinds of people, of every race, right off the beginning. And Colossians was a letter that was written to the Christ followers in Colossae. All of the people back then were countercultural. All of the Christians were countercultural. And in Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, Paul writes this letter. He is an apostle of Jesus. He said this, since then you've been raised with Christ. You've put your faith in Christ, in his death, in his resurrection. We are then raised with Christ. So since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That means the seat of power. Set your hearts on things above. It's hard to believe this was written 2,000 years ago. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, there's so much more that we don't see. There's a whole spiritual dimension to our lives but we only experience that when we die to ourselves and our life is now with Christ in God. And it sometimes feels hidden because Christ is taking care of it. There's more than just the reality we see with our eyes or we see on our screens. And then he said this, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, one of the things about this verse it really flips the idea of us being merely spectators and only finding our happiness secondhand is kind of our approach when it comes to faith, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to Christianity. And it's this, say I open my Bible and I'm reading something and what I'm kind of doing is inviting Christ into my life. I'm inviting Christ into my day. When I do it at the beginning of the day, it, it feels really good. But there's a deeper level of understanding, and it's this, not just for me to pray or to open my Bible or to worship um, with other believers in order to invite Christ into my life, but a deeper thing is going on, and that is for God to invite me into his life the way the kingdom of God is. I just invite you to think about that. Are you at the, the first reading where I say I read scripture in order to invite Christ into my life, which is a good thing? Or am I ready for a second deeper reading, which would be I read in order for God to invite me into God's kingdom, his household, his freedom. I want the rest of my life to be moving from reality TV to God's ultimate reality, his reality life that he has for me. Here's how you move from the oxymoron of reality TV, which of course has dozens of camera people around it, even in the remote crazy shows to God's ultimate reality 
it's this. You literally have to adjust your antenna. And I'm sure if you're under the age of whatever, you're like, what? In the old days, when the TV was not working right, you had literally had an antenna. You'd have to get up and try to move around to get the signal better. Realize God is absent in 99% of what you watch. Although the evidence of the quest for God is everywhere in what you watch. But as for you and for your life, allow God, the ultimate reality, to define your life and not anyone else. It is so easy to allow all the things that are like being shoved down our throats or that we're being enticed to click, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll. It is so easy to allow all that stuff to influence what I think, what you think. So instead, this word from scripture from Colossians chapter 3 says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not just on earthly things. If you're serious about living this resurrection, this new life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along with your eyes glued to the screen, absorbed in the things right in front of you. But look up, be alert, see and have your eyes peeled to to notice what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. And you see things then from his perspective. Paul goes on to say this, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. No matter what your feelings are telling you, you are not obscure to God. God never views you as somebody just detached or separating yourself. God is a seeing God. And a lot of us assume this posture of, well, I can't figure out what's my source of happiness, so I'm just going to like keep scrolling until I find it. And then I end up thinking, well, I'm enjoying the scrolling at least. But God is a God who sees. And you may have been wounded in the past. You may have been through some really, really rough seasons, and it's all you can do to scroll through things. But God has so much more for you and wants so much more. Living, really living. I remember this old lady named Thelma Wilmoth, and I had her talk to our youth group, and this would have been in the late 90s. And she and Irene Nordyke and a guy named Bob White, they all came. Bob was only 77. The other ladies were like in their late 80s and early 90s and all sharp as tacks. And Thelma said, oh, I don't watch too much TV because it takes me away from really living. I will always remember her saying that. And that's what I want for my life as well. You are not obscure to God. No matter what other people are telling you, you're not obscure to God. God is viewing you, but not just even from a distance. He wants to be one with you by his spirit. God is always tuned in to your life. He is on your channel and he doesn't watch you from a distance. He's passionately desires to be a part of things in our lives. You're not obscure to God and how God views you, how you view God are the only things that matter. If your focal point is something other than God, who I believe is the center of the universe, you're going to be stuck in your old life, not in this new one that he's promised you through Christ, where truth is in the middle of who you are. 
My question is, are you getting this message from any other source? Probably it's not from a screen. Remember, media is fiction. They're only showing you exactly what they want from the angle they want with the lighting they want. I love this podcast because I believe Jesus offers life, not escape from life. Let me say that again. Jesus offers life for you, not escape from life. Don't settle for passive distraction, being just a spectator. God's calling you to get in the game. God's calling you to get off the sidelines and find a step that you can take, a person that you can help, even if it's a grumpy neighbor. Go for the full life that God has offered. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. Abundant life. God calls us to embrace reality, not to shrink from it. TV says, I've come to take you out of life. And Jesus says, I have come to give you full life and to redeem your life. TV says, I can pull you out of the emptiness of ordinary life. Jesus says, follow me and I can help you invest your daily life with meaning and purpose. You know, that's what I love about the Christian worldview. The message of Christianity is this. Life is only genuinely satisfying and fulfilling when it's lived for God, because God made us to live for him. In the letter to the Christ followers in Ephesus that we call Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Proverbs says this, it's God's purpose that prevails. God never created us to be only spectators. We were planned for God's pleasure, created to become like Christ, formed for his family, shaped for service to others, made for a mission. That's God's game plan. None of it is detached spectating, but that's sure the perception, isn't it? And we buy in. Sometimes it's been too true. The church hasn't helped sometimes. But reality is this, God has created us solely for the good things that he planned. Doing anything short of the good things that God has planned means that you're not doing the very thing that you were made to do. And then the really cool thing is that when you begin discovering this God's reality, not reality TV, God's reality moves us to real worship and your life can be an act of worship. How you live your life is an act of worship to God. But when God's not the center of our lives, it means that we are. No wonder we feel shallow or bored or disconnected and we need to get on a screen somewhere. After all, you and I make great people, but we make lousy gods. No wonder we want to escape our own lives. If I was my own God, I'd want to escape my life too once I got my eyes open to what was going on. But hear me, escape or secondhand living and fantasy is not salvation. Salvation involves freeing us from sin, growing to be like Christ, living out God's image of creativity and transformation. And the good news brings you complete coverage. Jesus doesn't remove us from life. He is life. He redeems life. He calls us to the hard places in life. He doesn't offer us a life free from hardship. He promises to bring good out of the hardships that we face. Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And Christ offers us forgiveness and healing and new life. And because God is crazy about us, 
God redeems all of life, including our boredom and our fears and our pain, our loss, our work, our struggles. He turns them into something precious. We have this beautiful prayer song that's a couple decades old that says, Jesus makes beautiful the things in my life. He can take the stuff of my life, which I can find boring sometimes, but he can make them beautiful. You know, it moves me to face the tough things, not to avoid them. TV says, run away and escape. But God says, my promise is to redeem your hardships. In other words, you, like you cash in a coupon, you redeem a coupon. We cash in, we redeem our hardships. Christ says, share them with me and experience these things. Deeper trust in me and experience my strength in your life. Count it all joy, James 1, 2. Count it all joy when you face various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's what it means in the face of us being handed our lives as spectators. The ultimate reality of a Christ follower is active. It's a leap into the adventure that God puts before us. He lays hold of the life that God offers to us. It's not 144 channels or a million websites or Facebook friends or whatever of the same stuff that leaves you feeling empty. God's life contains mystery and spirituality and connection. To the world, it looks like torture, but to the believer, even prayer can be an adventure and, and oftentimes even a battle. So the goal is to live face to face. We go from isolation to community. God deals with us individually, but he doesn't allow us to walk alone. So we've got to watch out. We've got to take off our headphones, our earplugs, our personal devices. Because we're now members of a community, members of Christ's body, joining together. It's why maybe if you can plug into a small group, get to know other people, that's where the real living comes. God forms us in us the image of Christ. When we get sucked into living as a spectator of entertainment, when we spend hours and hours of uncritical TV watching or scrolling, surfing, video games even, it can't help but be counterproductive to forming the image of Christ in us. And Paul coaches us to pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along with our eyes on the ground and absorbed in the things right in front of us. Look up, be alert for what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I realize I'm throwing a lot of this at you. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's hard to do when for four hours a night or day, we fill our mind with whatever is suggestive or graphic or distracting, whatever's on. Realize you're being set up to be a spectator. Don't live life in escape mode. Don't think God wants you to experience happiness secondhand. But claim his abundant life right now. That's what launched this whole podcast. Let the strength of God move you and redeem you from that. Maybe God has opened your eyes today. That would be my prayer from this point on. Almighty God, I thank you so much that you don't just want us to experience life secondhand, but that you want us to really live like Thelma said. Thank you, God, that we don't just need to escape from life. We need real life. And that's what we want to experience. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. 
You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.